Brain Candy Podcast on new microphones. Do we sound better? I feel like I can hear you even better. I feel like that too. I love it. It's crisp, clean. Oh, oh my can God. Can I just say I listened to just randomly like clicked on a podcast to see what some other ones sounded like? Garbage. Garbage. <laughs> he may as well have been underwater recording it. <laughs> really? Yeah. He could have our old mics. Well, yeah, there is a wide range of quality. Thanks to Adam Butler, who I married and has all this equipment. Oh, my God. Wasn't that good? So you married your husband for sound equipment. I married mine for free wine. You had the right idea. We're smart. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We're a good team. No dummies over here. This is episode 85. Whoa. We are talking about pop psychology today. Yeah. Which is kind of like every other episode, (laughs) (laughs) if we're honest. That's totally true. If you think about it. That's exactly what brain candy is. It's like yummy, mm-hmm. like little nuggets that really are kind of like quasi-scientific. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So we're just going to bring bring the greatest hits right. to this episode. What's your favorite pop psychology uh, <sighs> theory? Or is there one that, that kind of has spoken to you before or that you kind of rang true or maybe... Mm. resonated with you that's a good question what are like the most famous ones so we have well the secrets and, and oh that yeah kind of positive thinking that's is not a big my one. favorite that's not your favorite no. and then there's the empowerment movement movement where you just have to feel empowered there's oh my god maybe of- i don't know about pop psychology <laughs> well that and you know what that's a that's kind of uh an interesting thing to bring up is what what is pop psychology? Yeah. Where do I think start? of it as like things that are correlated, but not necessarily causal. Yeah. So like, it's nice to think, Hey, maybe these things are connected, but we don't really know. And that's, that is absolutely what it is. So in a nutshell, pop psychology is our theories that maybe have some sort of uh, foundation in psychology or in psychological research, but are not tested and haven't been empirically proven. Yeah. And often they provide temporary fixes or maybe speak or work with a specific population, but you can't extend the theory to an entire, to everyone. So maybe like, for example, uh, maybe the beliefs in this specific, uh, pop psychology theory wouldn't work in a collectivist society. Yeah. Maybe they're more for an individualistic society. So that whole feeling empowered and the secrets and very much that, that is good if you are in an individual society where it's all about me and very like more of the European Western thinking. Yeah. But if you are part of a collectivist society, like Japanese, a lot of Asian cultures, that does not translate well. Well, so later on in the show, we're having a guest who um, does hypnosis. Mm -hmm. Is uh, are we classifying that as pop psychology? Well, hypnosis does have a lot of empirical evidence yeah. behind it, and especially nowadays, you know. And that's the other thing to take into account with a lot of these pop psychologies that a lot of things that we call theoretical models today started out as "quote unquote" pop psychology, right? And I would think mindfulness is a huge one. Five years ago, if you told somebody we're going to practice some mindfulness where we're just going to like sit and envision our best future self. And now we're going to talk about uh, practicing and extending some loving kindness towards ourselves in a nine minute (laughs) meditation. They'd look at you and go, you're nuts. That's like the, you know, what's the new pop 
whatever psychological treatment of the moment. But now we know through extensive research that that has very, <laughs> very, me. very positive impact and, and is proves evidentially to be a successful model. Yeah. So a lot of them are just ones that haven't really, uh, we haven't done so, the, the, the studying to really be able to call it a theoretical model. So we're not doing, we're not calling it that to disparage. No, no, absolutely not. More to classify. Is this a model that has been tested extensively or is this a new emerging theory that or model that still is in need of some testing? Okay. Well, where do we begin? Ooh, well, let's start with a secret. Okay. You say you don't like it. Well, it's not that I don't, don't like it. It's that my dissertation was on, um, oh. you know, prosperity gospel, which is essentially the same thing. Yes. Yeah. So I feel like I'm like, oh my God, <clears throat> you know? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I, I've been down this road for a long time. You know, that's so interesting because I went to a meditation prayer circle the other night and it was very much spiritual. Who led it? It was led by a woman who is calls herself an intuitive healer. Who and is this a sec- uh, secret? Is it, <laughs> no. She- no, it's this. It's this. Uh, this great women's group that meets for these. Um, Why did you go? Like I was invited by my friend Mariana, who. It was right oh. after the election, and we were really feeling like we you needed, needed something. <laughs> I needed something. So I thought, what better way than to get together with a bunch of women? And it was a like a group meditation. It was a long group meditation, and we talked about... Wait, I have so many questions. Yeah. How, how, how many women were there? Were there Probably any men? 20. No men. No men. Were they welcome? What do you mean? Were men allowed? Uh... You know, probably not. Okay. It is a women's, women's group. group. Yeah. Okay. And But I don't think that but then after we were done, her husband came home and had taken her daughter to the movies, the woman whose house You were this in the was house? At, yeah, it was that this woman hosted it at her house. He's dying. Oh my god, it's great. I love everything about this group and I love them so much. So these women get together and I just recently found out about this or was invited to this group and they Sometimes they hosted at different people's houses and things like that. It's just like 20 women getting to about 20 get together. And sometimes they have uh, like a, this woman who's an intuitive healer come and, and talk. And sometimes they do like other projects. And... Okay, wait. So you walk in. Yes. And do they say, can I get you a drink? Yeah. Oh, well, first of all, everybody like brings wine. Because okay. that's what we do. And then, but you have the wine after. So they made sure, like, first is, like, tea and water, and we have, like, tea and water, and everybody's And do you chatting. sit on the floor? And there's, this woman luckily had wonderful seating in her house, and she had, like, a big couch, and everybody kind of sat on the floor. Some people sat on the floor. Okay. But it was and all very, like, circle. You don't get this. ahead of me. I'm oh, sorry. <laughs> so then, what do most of these women look like? Are they older? Like, no, they were all like me. But, suburban? Uh, yeah, suburban, but also, you can tell we're almost like the... We're looking the hippie in a suburban environment. Were like, they all we were white looking except for, Mariana? No, there were. I would say it's fifty-fifty mixed of white and just you know Latino, Latino or whatever, or Persian Latino. or some other yeah. you know whatever. But okay. it was not a a Homogenous. bunch of white women yeah. in their Uggs drinking pumpkin spice lattes. 
It was not. In fact, one That's of the women cool. who I met, who I, I just felt so drawn to, is a Reiki healer and, um, like, Ayurvedic healing yeah. and stuff like that. And she is, I, I can tell, it just has a lot of her stuff is rooted in more, um, maybe, like, traditional healing and, and like, medicine healing that are more associated with like Latin American cultures. So it's kind of like a tie of, and so what my whole point with this was that <laughs> like, before I got like, shut I, up, Susan. I, right? was that, <laughs> no, I love, I love you asking questions because I'm sure, you know, other people would be interested in stuff like this. Um, <laughs> but I couldn't help but recognize the common threads, how this could have been a group of evangelical women meeting together to pray. Yeah. And it was the exact same thing. Yeah. And how, what we need is the community, uh-huh. the support of other women or or individuals, and to feel like you can be the most authentic version of yourself of yourself and share, yeah, and feel supported. Did money change hands? Uh, uh, uh there was in order to come, there was a forty dollar like, you know, you had to pay to to the intuitive healer, yeah, or okay. to whoever, and it, and it went to like. I guess her and, you know, putting out, putting the whole thing on and everything. I was at the end of it. I was happy to get $40. In fact, I was like, I felt so good afterwards and so refresh. And all of us were there post-election being like, what do we do now? We all had the same kind of mindset. So did you not feel that you were being taken advantage of your vulnerability at that time? I, uh, not necessarily because I, I was, I was the one seeking out this, you know, it wasn't like they were proselytizing and saying like, Hey, I have all the answers for you here at my meeting. In fact, Mariana was already going and she told me about it and I was like, Oh, please. Can I come? Please see if there's a spot for me. How long were you there? Two hours? Two or three. No, probably three. She made $800 for a three hour freaking sit in in her house. Yeah, I'm fine with that. Why? Because it, was, it was totally worth it. Okay. Well, yeah, you're the consumer and you yeah. felt that it was worth also, $40. I was at a time, like this was a time where I was also dealing with a lot of stuff in my own therapy and like I really needed the support of yeah. females. Okay. And I had a breakdown there and I just cried and cried and cried. And You did I not. was sur- like, yeah, I did. And I, it's like these women came to my rescue. Sarah, you need to go to church. I would be, I know, I go to, I've been to Universal Unitarian churches. I love it. I eat it up, but I can, I don't like going alone and I can never drag anybody to go with me. Oh my God. I'm going to, we're going to have to start going to church. We're this going is going to be so I really weird. I really do love that. And I'll cry, I cry, I'll cry every time. I'll be the one with the big arms. You are so weird. I know. It's either a cult or church. One of the two. So, <laughs> well, tomato, tomato. <laughs> <laughs> what makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. 
Okay, well, that's interesting. I'm glad that you had a good experience. I'm glad it was worth your $40. Yes. And I feel like I got into the wrong business because that hooker made $800 making you cry. Yeah. All right. Well, whatever. Well, it's the same thing. You know, it's like, uh, I don't know. I guess when, when I went and I visited the temples in Thailand and they have the offering jars and everything and they have the thing where you know they're not really asking for money but and I bet with these women if I said it's like any kind of church or anything if I said I don't have $40 right now I guarantee you they would have been like that's no problem don't worry about it yeah that's it would and honestly nobody ever asked me for the money it was like on a flyer yeah and at the end of the night I I just handed it to her nobody ever said okay, that'll be $40 at the door and here's your ticket. Never, ever, ever. It was like yeah. at the end. And almost when I gave it to her, she was like, oh God, I'm sorry. It's like, like she almost felt uncomfortable asking, taking it. Okay. So, but I loved it. So do you think that she has mystical powers? Ooh, I think there are people, you know, and I get this question all the time because of my mom and what she does. And I was laughing the whole time I was there because, you know, sometimes it takes me, it's so hard. I get so disconnected from what people would call the light or God or, you know, this universal consciousness where you get like wrapped up in your own thoughts and anxieties and worries and fears. And we all go through that where we just feel like disconnected even from, even from our own husbands or, or relatives or friends. And you just get like, um, so I believe that there are people who are more in tune with that, connection with that light with that whatever who are maybe more aware I also think that in some ways therapists are work the same where they're like guides who uh, can give you a little bit more insight who can kind of steer you in the right direction or maybe choreographers of, of this like dance that you're doing and I believe that this woman has and ability to, I don't, I wouldn't call it a gift because a gift implies that everybody can't also learn this. And I think that through meditation, through practice, through anything, it's a skill that everybody can learn. I yeah. really do. Okay. Susie rolled her eyes. No. Okay. Oh no. I'm not rolling my eyes. I'm thinking like, okay. cause I've spent so much time studying this that I don't even know what my opinion is. Now also, <laughs> here's the thing is this was the this is one of the biggest lessons that I learned in the uh, really a gift that was given to me by this woman who is in my psychology program who's a doctor herself and is now going back to school to become a therapist. She specializes in um pain management and dealing with pain. And she said that studying it and learning about things is like reading the menu at a restaurant and expecting to be full. You can study it and you can learn it and you can know every single thing about it. But until you actually order from the menu and experience it yourself, you're never going to be full. You're never going to be satisfied. So I, and that's how I was like, I knew everything on paper. And until I felt a transformative moment, until I felt um, when I meditated, one of my projects for school is we had to meditate five times a week and record all of it and do this whole project. And we're on week number 12 of meditating. 
And it has absolutely transformed many aspects of my life, especially my relationship. And I would, and I've read all about meditation for the last six years. Yeah. But until I tried it, I was like, oh my God. And the other day I was in therapy and we were talking about processing and about how, you know, she gave me the advice, write a letter to your, you know, the, the little version of you and, and write a letter to your internal self. And I did it. And all of a sudden the whole idea of processing an event clicked. And I went, oh my God, I get what processing is now. I see that you actually have to go through that. I just did it. I mean, I've told people, yeah, process it, process it, process it, process it, without even really knowing what that word means and feeling what that means. And so I think that you can talk about it and you can say all that what stuff. And that's the exact same thing as when people say they feel faith or all that. You feel it and you're like, oh, I get it. I mean, I have a lot to say because, yeah. first of all, I mean, in my particular case, yeah, I did live it. Yes, so I I can remember what that felt like. Yeah, and I totally. That's why I say I don't know where I fall because I that's felt so true. I feel like when I'm amongst academics, I am always having to defend people of faith, and when I'm around people of faith, I feel like I have to defend science and um, you know the academic process. And so I don't actually know where I fall in reality because I'm where so busy. Where do you busy. feel those two intersect? <clears throat> or do um, they? Well, no, I, I think that they don't because faith has nothing to do with something that can be provable. That's the mm. whole point. They're in complete contrast to each other. And so the study of religion is a silly idea. <laughs> well, what about... What about... See, now I look at that and I see so many things, and maybe this is a confirmation bias, like where uh, I think it's almost difficult to argue that there is, you know, like how do you destroy energy? Or like where does energy come from and where does it go? And a lot of things, I mean, maybe faith is just the fill-in for all the scientific answers that we don't know yet, which is what it's been for years. Yeah, right. I, and that's my mom is always like, because I'll, I'll push, you know, right, I'll put, of wait, well, how do you know this or that? And then yeah. she, it always with most believers, it always ends with, well, you have to take a leap of faith. Yeah. But you, see, I don't feel like I take a leap of faith. I almost feel like something I believe then I can almost find the scientific evidence to support that. Yeah. You know what I mean? But maybe that's just me looking for that evidence to support it. Yeah, I think that's probably the, the case. Yeah. But that's okay. Because I mean, I don't believe but, in a big boat that a bunch, <clears throat> like, two of everybody chilled out on for a while while there was some <laughs> rain. Uh, but, like, for instance, when you went to the intuitive healer, yeah. you walked out and felt like you got your money's worth because totally. it felt um, transformative for you. And so that is real. Yes. You experience something and yes. that experience is your own and no one can say you didn't. And the, I, what I believe they did there is they gave me the space to yeah. feel safe to, I could have gotten the same experience out of group therapy. Was everyone crying? No, me and one other woman. No. And I'm convinced the one other woman, it was sexual abuse. Oh. Cause I just have a sense like when. I, I, there's a certain cry. There's a certain kind of like internal pain where it's oh like deep. Oh my God, you're Where kidding. it was something, it's something along, or childhood trauma, where it was something, it wasn't just like new stuff. I can't know? believe you were crying like that. Oh, and then it was the funny thing is I turned to Mariana at the end and I was like, well, guess what? I cried way less than I thought I was going to. 
<laughs> we both laughed. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so She's that's... She's like, well, I'm good for, glad about that. It's but. legit for you, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's... There's nothing to debate that really happened to right. you. But that and doesn't mean... Right. And that, that... Oh, perfect. Full circle here. Just because it worked for me in that moment does not make it a, psycholog- a psychology-based theory that would then work for everyone. Right. Because that is the biggest thing, is that a lot of these, you know, quote-unquote pop psycho- psychology movements capitalize on uh, the person have to be has to be in the perfect right space in the perfect right time in the perfect right uh, you know a yeah. big thing is like willingness to change has to be there yeah you can't just take somebody who has no willingness to change or like the ends don't justify the means or they're not willing to give up whatever they're doing in order for the reward yeah so there has to be a perfect uh-huh everything all in line in order for it to work whereas with these theoretical psychology psychology models, you can take somebody who maybe isn't willing to change and you can use a humanistic psychological approach or cognitive behavioral therapy in a course of 16 sessions to create lasting change. Right. Depend even if they're not in a position where they're willing to, because it's a much more gentle approach versus this, you know, rocket ship to do you know what else creates lasting change and has a gentle <gasps> approach? Oh, I know what you're going to say. It was probably the most perfect segue <laughs> I've ever heard ever. Bioclarity. It does. <laughs> and also, I was going to say, it has been proven. They sent me all this data. Oh, that's great. That was like, the girl's like, I don't know if you care about this. I'm like, I do. We do. Yeah. Yeah, we do. Uh, BioClarity, if you have not tried it yet, is an amazing three-step acne wash that will transform your skin. And that is not pop psychology. No, that's fact. This is It did it for you and it did it for me. Yeah. So if you want to try it, go to BioClarity.com and enter code BRAINCANDY to get it for $9.95 your first month plus free shipping. And it is known for being very soothing, non-abrasive. They use Floralux, which is like this green lovely you know magic mm-hmm. that makes your skin happy as you say that i envision my bathroom routine and just rub it i know <laughs> i just i see it now now it's become part of my nightly routine and i don't know what i would do without it so thank you BioClarity. yes thank you to bioclarity you guys need to get on the train man send me your before and after pictures yeah. just take a before and after picture i'm mad i didn't do it yeah I yeah really that's am. true you should take one oh, because you'll be amazed yeah um okay so one thing I wanted to mention before we move on is, did you see the clip of Shelley Duvall? No. Um, do you know who she is? She's from... Yes, oh, I know. I didn't she... know who she was. She played I... olive oil on Popeye. She did? Yeah, way back in the day. Way, way early, early Popeye. Okay, well, you're going to die then. Why? Because she was um, featured on Dr. Phil. Uh-huh. And she, here, I'll pull it up for you so you can see it. Oh, I'm so Um, excited. She is struggling with mental illness. Oh, you know what? I just was thinking about this the other day. I think there's a lot of mental illness amongst actors because in order to go to those emotional places, you have to have those emotional swings. Mm -hmm. Look what she looks like now. Oh! Yeah. She looks like she's suffering from mental illness. Yeah. Yeah, no, she absolutely looks like she fits the... Yeah. Yeah, that was olive oil. I can't believe that. Now I am shocked more than I was. 
Because oh. she's and known you know for... And honestly, it's kind of later in life that she got it, which is surprising because usually that appears in like... Yeah. In she 20s. was um, uh, in Stanley Kubrick movies mm-hmm. and stuff oh, like tons. that. Oh, Tubbs. She was in The freaking Shining. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And she's like, you know, somebody that's beloved. And so she went on Dr. Phil and she is a paranoid person who paranoid. believes like yeah. there's... Like yeah. a chip in her leg that, and she oh, thinks yeah. Robin Williams is really alive. Paranoid and, schizophrenia. Yeah. yeah, and so afterwards, Stanley. Hey, does Kubrick's, she hear? Did they say if she hears voices or sees anything? <clears throat> they just run a preview so far. Oh, uh, I think she have, did say she, does. she okay, so hears voices. And people that, including Stanley Kubrick's wife or daughter, daughter, were outraged because they feel like he's exploiting her and that who dr phil yeah because she clearly isn't in her right mind and he's putting her on national tv i disagree tell me why i think that the i think that we as a society have hidden mental illness behind a curtain and we do not talk about how this is a very prevalent issue that pretty much every single family deals with in some way. It's hard to find somebody who doesn't have some sort of mental illness or know somebody who deal- struggles with mental illness. And I think that people get into trouble when they are... What, I think this is something that needs to be talked about so that we can get people the help that they need and recognize the signs and symptoms early enough to be able to keep these people back, get these people back on track and provide them the supportive structure that they need. Because I've seen what it looks like when an individual who has, who does suffer from mental illness has a support system and when they don't have a support system. And when you take somebody like Shelley Duvall and you hide her behind a closed door and don't let her share her story or don't let it go on television, then it takes away that support system. Huh. I did not think you were going to say that. Really? No, because um, I thought that, like, she's not in a place where she could accurately assess whether she wanted to be publicly exposed. I don't think that that's correct. I think that people who are schizophrenic, I think they they are much more lucid and aware than you think they are. I mean, she said in the clip... I want help, and I'm very sick. And that is great that she recognized. So I think that her ability to recognize that she wants help. But then why would she say enough. she had a chip in her leg? Because that is what she fully believes that it, that but is then her how reality. Does she thinks she's sick. There's an awareness of being different. There's an awareness of, and often, especially with people who are schizophrenic, it's difficult because. The same thing that comforts you and the same thing that provides support for you, also other people are scared of. And so uh, in there's a big debate going on right now on whether or not to force medication among people who are mentally ill. Yeah. And I do not think we should do that. Why? And when you really look at somebody who is mentally ill and you take the time to... People don't know what a mentally ill person looks like. People really don't. It it's it almost breaks my heart. I think the really there's a really good movie to watch, The Soloist, um, yeah. with uh, uh, Robert Downey Jr. and 
Jamie Foxx. Jamie Foxx that gives a really good example or sh- of what it is like to deal with mental illness. And these people are not, the person isn't gone. The, the, the real person is still there, but they've created a defense mechanism because of how people have reacted to them their whole life. And that, and if you can break through that defense mechanism and you can reconnect to the human, then they, there's, that could be very, very, very helpful. And it could be really impactful for that person. So for, for her to be able to share her story and I hope really, I, I, I'm, I hope that they're providing her the support afterwards and, um, but I couldn't see Dr. Phil not doing that. You know, I, I just think giving her a chance to talk is already so wonderful. I don't know. I, I kind of disagree with you because I agree that there shouldn't be a stigma and that Mm -hmm. we should talk more openly about mental illness, but whenever someone's in the throes of it, if you really cared about them, it, it's awkward to right. like profit off of that. That's what Dr. Phil is doing. He's profiting off of somebody else's misfortune. Well, you can, I almost feel like you could say that for anybody who raises awareness for breast cancer. Why? Well, I mean, if you're not sick, but you're a company who wants to all of a sudden, you know, I, I just think that there's help that he's got to be doing on the back end. Like, I think making aware, oh, if you were to do a show on, I don't know, cancer survivors. Yeah. Would it be profiting off of the people who were talking about, like it would be getting. Yeah, but they can, um, they can agree to it in a way that. I think she can still agree to it. Well, maybe that's what I don't understand. Yeah, I think, and, and I think lucidity is something that, that it's. You know, when people are in the throes of of an, a manic episode in and they're schizophrenic, it can maybe only last for five minutes. Yeah, but there's a reason, then, Sarah, why like we have insanity defenses. I mean, right? It's it gets you off the hook because you're not in your right mind, right? And so I don't know why that wouldn't apply to like signing a, a disclosure. Absolutely. Oh, you're absolutely correct. And I don't know if. It's it's hard for me to believe that she's up there unmedicated. Well, that's the thing. I because need to if see the she's whole medicated, thing. then she totally is in her right mind. Like, right. if she's if she's on lithium or whatever it is, she's in her right mind and could sign those papers. Because all you have to do is inject somebody with you know Haldol, and they would be able to sign those papers, or they'd be able to to do that knowingly right knowingly yeah and so it wouldn't take much and for somebody who's schizophrenic to be able to sit in a chair for an hour-long interview uh-huh. it would be almost impossible to do that with somebody who wasn't medicated yeah because it would be too dangerous not for dan- like and i don't want to say dangerous because the majority of people who are schizophrenic are not physically violent or dangerous i really want to stress that the danger is more to like their production quality. Yeah. Of all of a sudden she can go, that's it. I'm out of here. And she'll run off stage because it's too much stress. <laughs> so it's not, these people are not a danger to others. In fact, just the opposite, you know, and, but often, like I said, with the, with the same thing that 
brings them comfort. So it could be a very scary place for her because say she does hear voices. A lot, often people who are schizophrenic hear three or more voices and those voices are not necessarily bad. They may be some, one of them may be bad, but a lot of them may be very comforting. Yeah. So when they put people who suffer from, uh, any kind of hallucination on psychotropic medications and those hallucinations go hallucinations go away the normal can be very scary for them because what used what was once there to provide safety and comfort now they feel alone in this world and yeah. really scary and you know so i i think it we shouldn't be forcing you know and this was a big we had to do presentations in our class where we kind of debated both sides of it and after everything that i heard i was like I don't think we need to be forcing that on, unless they're a danger to themselves or others and they violate, you know, and there are always clear signs of that. Yeah. I don't think we should force medication on people. Well, the reason that I brought this particular thing up is because a lot of people think that Dr. Phil in general is an example of a pop psychologist mm. or a psychiatrist mm-hmm. where it's like, he's just an entertainer who yeah. happens to have a doctorate Yeah, and that... It's bizarre. That- I've been to a Dr. Phil show. No. I went to a one on sexual assault, uh, sexual abuse. Too. You were invited? I wasn't invited, but my friend brought me to one, and it just so happened that that was the subject matter. I was like, you couldn't, I couldn't come on any other day. Tell me what it was like. And you know how I, I when I left, I left feeling like he did not give her proper closure. Wait, so at the end, like... No closure. He just walks off? Now, I don't know if he provide. I don't know if... If he is a therapist, if he is... And I don't know if he's a doc... I don't know what he has he his doctor. He has a PhD. Okay, so yeah. I think ethically, in order for him to have a license, it would be unethical of him. that They would pull his license, whatever it is. Like, there's no way an ethical board would be able to... I would hope, I really hope, would allow him to do that without providing... Aftercare. The, aftercare to the individual who's yeah, on Yeah, I'm sure her. they do. I mean, because I've even been warned, <coughs> warned, not harshly, but I've even... <coughs> Hold on a second. Oh, poor Suze. <coughs> Let me take a sip. <coughs> do you remember your, what you were saying? Yeah. <coughs> oh, you poor thing. Okay, go ahead. Wait, let me open this. Yeah. Damn. My dog jumped up on the counter, bit into one of those the other day, and was like... <laughs> it was the funniest face he did. Okay, go ahead. So even in my... I've even been warned by... Not warned, but like told by my department head that I have to be careful about what I say on the podcast. Right. To make sure that I'm not telling somebody this is whatever. You yeah. Know, to, or like use this and it'll cure all your problems because I wear the hat of like an MFT intern or training or what have you. And I, and this is this podcast. Could you imagine a nationally (laughs) syndicated show or that, you know, they would be after him so fast if he weren't providing those sort those. So I hope in my heart of hearts that he gave. Well, so what does he do? Just walk off. Or what? They, they have, you know, the show ends and then they have their whole thing where he like, they, maybe it was a two-parter. I don't know. But it felt like when I left, I felt like, oh God, I don't know. And that could also be because I was still raw. This was when I was much younger. And I yeah. felt like I didn't have closure and this woman didn't have, like, what happens now? Did and you it was, watch it when it aired? No, because I tried. I didn't know when it was going to air. I couldn't find it. Oh. 
Wow. Yeah. Well, I mean, a lot of people put him in that category and even Oprah, you know, this sort of like mindfulness, positive thinking, anything that's a cure-all, anything that can work. There's no such thing as a fast fix, people. Yeah. No such thing. I mean, I think there are things that can help, but often those temporary fixes don't they provide a band-aid or they, they act as almost a cover-up, but they don't get down to the core issue because the self there needs to be self-actualization. There needs to be uh, re- like realization that happens internally, and you can't do that quickly. You can't make somebody undo an entire lifetime worth of thinking in 24 hours. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress-them-on-the-third-date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Did you watch the Tony Robbins documentary? On no, Netflix? and I keep meaning to. Oh my gosh. It was really good. I need to. What Do you know much about him? Um, a little bit. Well, one thing that surprised me about that, um, and I know you, I keep, you have so much to get to, but. No, I mean, this is, these are all. There's a thousand things we can say on this. I could do like five five episodes on this, which we just made. <laughs> well, he um, one thing that surprised me is that he's very crude and says the f word a lot. Well, yeah, I'm fine with that. Yeah, I'm fine with it, but I didn't expect it. Oh, I did from to... him. Oh, why? Oh, because I put him in the category of confrontational. Um, there is this. I, I didn't know. I, that. I don't even know that there's a technical term for it, or like what these people are called. But there is. The, there are these. They like push. Yeah, yeah. There are these seminars that people go to that are really confrontational, and that sort of in-your-face thing drives out emotions. I think those kind of seminars are fantastic for people, uh, like especially men who are detached from their emotions. Men who put up walls, men who, uh, or women, I'm not, men or women, let's not make this a gendered issue, who put, who are detached from their true feelings, their true self, maybe who have had to uh, put up walls and not show any kind of vulnerability. Maybe they had a parent who was really rigid and they were never allowed to ask for help or be vulnerable or cry. Those kind of confrontational in your face things where they force you to cry and then afterwards everybody claps and makes you feel good about it are great for people like that. But for somebody like me who cries at the drop of a hat and is already in touch with their emotions, that would be misery and it would probably send me into a deep depression. Yeah, it didn't look fun for no. me. And that's why it's what I said before about how you have to be at the right time in the right place. And the, So what did the documentary say about him? Well, so I am used to studying religious versions of this. So there's no swearing or aggression. Right. It's all very woo-woo. Is that confrontational though sometimes? Not no, typically. Not it's usually just like, you can do better and God made you perfectly and blah, blah, blah. 
So he is Mr. Like you said, it's exactly what you're saying. And he picks people out and he's like, you, blah, blah, blah. And puts them on the spot. And then they like have this emotional breakdown and they agree with everything he says. Yeah. They never say like, that's an be old a, school model that has been working is. since the dawn of time, really, that people have just capitalized on. But do you on. think they're a fraud? A fraud is is not the right word to use. It just, it's not a fix for everyone. Right. He might, he might agree with you about but that. But if it works for you, it works. I This is what I say with religion. This is what I say with psychology. Yeah, who are you? You go to a $40 intuitive healer. <laughs> if you, right. If it works for you, it works for you. Yeah. And I, the same way, if somebody, and I spoke about this on another episode, if when I have a practice, somebody comes to me and they say, I am of, uh, uh, I believe in Santeria and I yeah. believe in uh, uh, the Espirito and I believe in seeing and the spirits come to me, but it doesn't interfere with my life and I get visits from my dead ancestors. I, I go, all right, well, let's, you know, that's accept. I totally accept that that and that that would not I would have to accept whatever their reality is. And so I think and if that is what works for them and that is what's worked, I'm going to cater my therapy to fit with what works in their uh, system. So I guess as a therapist and as a psychologist and somebody who practices evidentiarily based psychology or evidence-based psychology, whatever you want to call it, um, my job and their job is to find the theoretical model that works with the individual's belief system. In pop psychology, it almost feels like it's on the individual to find the theoretical model or the thing that works with their own belief system. So it's almost like outsourcing who's going to, you know, if, if I'm with, with any of these pop psychology uh, uh, techniques, there's a lot of power, there's a lot of responsibility on the individual to find the one that works for them, find the one that resonates with them. You know, you could probably take me to one group, one and I wouldn't feel a connection, and another group, and I wouldn't feel a connection, but then an intuitive healer, and all of a sudden, oh my God, I'm connected. If I went to a therapist, they would be able to kind of feel out what it is that I would, what I would resonate with, what it is that would work with me, and maybe use, oh, she likes things that are all about, like, building up, let's do humanistic psychology with her, rather than Behavioral therapy. I just had an epiphany. Oh, yeah, what? I just read this article that you'll love about how if you have a relative with dementia, that the um, techniques of improv can be applied. <laughs> yes, and? Yeah. Totally. And that, I heard that too. Yeah, and that it will like cut down on the tension and the frustration of dealing with somebody with dementia if you just go along with whatever they say and are like, yeah, we are having Thanksgiving today, even though it's nothing, right? Like your grandma yes. thought. And oh I thought God. you I would love that. Was I talking about this with you? Yeah. Yes, that is, I think that is, and there's so many people out there, <clears throat> especially the older, I mean, we get, we have a generation that is, an older generation that is growing very fast, and this is a big issue. Yeah. I think a lot of people will benefit from that advice. And you just reminded me of it because in a way that's kind of what you're being called to do is like, Okay, you see dead yes. people. Let's go with that. Yes. Yeah. Oh, Same gosh. Thing. That's, a, that's really yeah. that's interesting. So Suze. maybe that comes in handy like all the time. I really do. <laughs> the, it, 
that exactly that is the funniest thing about everything I'm learning is you really realize that a lot of this is when you strip back all the BS and all the noise of of culture and society and advertising and consumerism and all that and you get down to what it is about being a person you realize that all of this is this it's the same stuff. Yeah. It is the same stuff with a different label. Well, the, when we spoke about cults last week or whenever that was, it's the same idea where they're, they'll rehash these same themes. They act like they're new, like they had some sort of like... <laughs> We're not reinventing the wheel. I mean, yeah. We are, or maybe we aren't or are, whatever the expression is, reinventing yeah. the wheel over here. It's They act like they get this, and maybe they feel they did, get a divine intervention as if it's new information. Right. And it's like, oh, yeah, people have been doing that for like millennia. forever. Yeah. It's the same thing, as, you know, and then it was so funny that I think about this women's group that I went to. And how if we were in Salem, we would all be burned at the stake because we were clearly witches, you know? And it's like, that's what women were doing and women have done throughout history is we get together and we all feel better afterwards. And then all of a sudden, you know, the patriarch was like, oh God, they, all of a sudden they're empowered and we don't like this. They must be evil. Burn them at the stake, you know? Witchy woman. (laughs) Uh, uh, Side note, I was named after my great, 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 I don't know how many great, uh, Grandmother, who was named Sarah and was one of the first witches burned at the Salem Witch Trials. What are you talking about? My mom said that. She said she was one. Of, she, I have historically somebody in my family who was burned. I love how now you tell me that. But you say that with every story I tell you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that's in. I study Puritans. Like, oh, God. why really? There was a lot of opportunities I feel like for you me to forget bring this who up. I am. Sometimes. I do sometimes. I because sometimes I just label you as not label like not like I'm labeling <laughs> my friends, but like you know we're so in the reality TV world oh, yeah. that. You know, I'm like, oh my god! I have, and every time we do an episode on cults and religion or whatever, I'm like, I have this wealth of knowledge that sits three feet away from me, and like, I <laughs> don't have to go on online and research this. My, she's sitting in front of me. I mean, I ask your mom what that woman's last name was. Yeah, I will. I absolutely what if it will. Was Rice. Yeah. No. <laughs> no, it was. It wasn't because that's not the side of my family. It's the Loomis family. Loomises are my side of the family that are get the to witchy the bottom women. of that. So, hey, what do you want to get to before we have Coach Monique on? Oh. Well, the one little thing... Oh, my God. This is going to be a long episode. That's fine. I want to talk about astrology. Oh, yeah. Okay, let's do that. Do you believe it or not believe it? What's your thoughts? I do not. You don't at all? Not really, no. Okay. It doesn't make any sense. Now, this is really interesting. So, I was looking at this. Now, this this article came (laughs) out, or this study came out in 2003, so it's a little bit dated, and I think the numbers are probably greater now. Oh, God. So, in 2003, um, they just... I don't know. Psychology Today pulled a bunch of people, and I... the, the the numbers show that about 30% of the population believes in UFOs, 40% in astrology, and 60% in psychic powers. Come on! Mm-hmm. <laughs> Somebody wrote to us and was like, I love when Sarah says something and Susie's like, come on! <laughs> Look, I don't, don't ask, don't talk to me about it. Bring it up with psychology today. They are running the numbers. Uh, the middle one is what... The, the astrology. Yeah. I think more people believe in that than you think. 40%? Yeah. I would like a gender breakdown on that because I think it's, oh, it's like 90% women. of 90%. women. Um, so I did your Damn astrological it. chart. Okay. Now, astrological charts are different than astrology like your, that you read in the back of yeah. the magazine. Yeah. This is based on where you were born. So the positions of the planets in the sky when you were born and where you were born. So It's, it's more t- precise. Right. 
It takes the time and the date into consideration and the place in the world. Okay. So this I'm just going to read a little bit of yours. Okay. And we're going to see if this sounds like Susie. Did you already read it? Here's no, that. I have read nothing okay. so far. So your rising sign is in 18 degrees Taurus. So you're calm and deliberate. You hate to move quickly or act hastily. You're very practical. Every effort must count or you can't be bothered. Patient, persistent, and steady, but very stubborn. You can't be pushed or pressured into anything. You seem outwardly self-assured because you tend to repress your inner tension and turmoil. You exude a, an earthly warmth, friendliness, and charm. You demand comfortable surroundings and appreciate the good life. Be careful of a tendency to be overly self-indulgent. At times, you are lazy and difficult to motivate. Overcoming inertia is a problem for you, and because you are not by nature a self-starter, it is often necessary for you to receive stimuli from others in order to get moving. Does that sound at all accurate? Do you think it does? Uh, not so much about the lazy or difficult to motivate part. Mm-hmm. No. I wouldn't say that, but, oh, how about this? Your son is in 16 degrees Leo. More My than son? a bit of a show, a show off, you love to be the center of attention. Who? You. Okay. This is like breaking oh, down you were every. Oh, I talking about my sun. So Lincoln. no, no, your sun sign. So your rising oh. <laughs> sign, and then your sun sign, and the moon sign. Those are the ones I'm that sorry, are like. Say your... that again. I was thinking okay. about Lincoln. So your this is your sun sign, not your sun's. <laughs> uh, your sun sign is in 15 degrees Leo. More than a bit of a show off, you love to be the center of attention. But others do not usually mind because they tend to enjoy your genuine warmth, warmth and affection. Very spirited and willful, proud and self-important at times, you demand your own way. You are quite honest, however, and the respect of others is very important to you. You never compromise yourself, and you pursue your goals with persistence and dedication. Your regal presence and demeanor draws to your position of leadership and authority. But beware of being overly hard-headed, domineering, or ostentatious, or patronizing, or you will lose the goodwill and adm <laughs> admiration that you enjoy. Very theatrical, you live life on a grand scale whenever and wherever possible. Your strength and energy vi vitalizes those who come in contact with you. Well, that's pretty accurate. <laughs> if I've never heard it. <laughs> I mean, everything was true except that lazy part. Yeah, and then your moon is in 15 degrees Pisces and it says you have a str you have strong feelings and are extremely sensitive. It would help if you had thicker skin. You tend to react emotionally to every situation you come across. Kind, gentle, and considerate of the feelings of others. You are good at taking care of the sick, wounded, or helpless, but you tend to absorb the energy of others, so avoid those who are always negative. You have a rich, creative, and lively imagination, but you have you should be careful to not spend all your time daydreaming. Huh. I think that's pretty accurate for you. But, I mean, it feels like it's one of those things where it says bo both. Like, it'll say... Wow. You know what's funny? Is your... <clears throat> we have a lot in the same... I believe that. We have a lot. You know what? <laughs> this is really funny, actually. Your what? sun is in Leo, and your moon is in Pisces, and my sun is in Pisces, and my rising sign is Leo. We only have one sign that's different. My moon is in Virgo, and your rising sign is in Taurus. Mm -hmm. But besides that, it would be this, the two of those things we would read, and it would be the same for both so of us. So what do you think? Do, is yours accurate about you? Yeah, you know, the first thing I get is that um, the whole thing about being the center of attention, rather than coming second, that one that came first for me. <laughs> um, and then I get the emotional thing about... Uh, about being a uh, 
you know, being too emotional, but then my moon is in Virgo and it says you tend to be serious minded, but cheerful for the most part. You need tasks that engage both your mind and your hands. A mm. careful worker, you enjoy making things. That's crazy. Actually. You are neat and orderly and you're very concerned with good health habits. Fastidious to the extreme, you cannot tolerate messes and will immediately clean them up. Reserved, shy, and very self-critical, you tend to be very hard on yourself. You usually will go out of your way to be helpful and useful to others. Practical, reliable, efficient, and conservative, at times you are a bit of a prude. You are known to lead a simple, uncomplicated, fruitical, methodical lifestyle, and you are devoted and caring to those you love. Hmm. That's pretty accurate But me. it said you were shy. Yeah, but you know, I think I'm naturally an introvert. When yeah. I take the introvert tests, I prefer to be alone. Mm-hmm. And my shy, my uh, gregarious nature is more of like a cover up for the, you know, crippling anxiety and, and self doubt. Okay, let's say this I'm is really true. With. Okay, the, yeah. this whole system. Yeah. Who says that this is the case? I have no clue. Like, who invented it? Yes. Yeah, I don't know. That's why it's bullshit. I, yeah, <laughs> but then again, I also feel like that would also be the same. Well, I guess it's like one of those things where they. I feel like if. The, the ancestors have been saying it for oh. years, then something must be right. You know, I feel that way about like uh, um, Tai Chi and, and uh, energy aligning in Chinese culture and uh, uh, acupuncture. Yeah. Have you ever had acupuncture? Uh-huh. It's the best. I don't love it. Oh, I, <laughs> my husband and I, firm believers in acupuncture. What do you like about it? I mean, really, I think nothing, nothing relaxes my husband like a session of acupuncture. God, he really? comes out and he's it's, he says it's better than massage. I found it to be quite painful because I think you're a highly sensitive person, yeah. and maybe you were thinking too much about the needles. Yeah, because I'm not a person that feels needles by needles. But I, don't even I just was like feel them or even am aware of them. Maybe I got a dud. The, the you could have got practitioner. a dud. You need a good one. <clears throat> yeah. Because yeah. I was like, hell, this is horrible. Oh, my God, excuse me. I just burped. Did you? <laughs> no, this mic is going to pick it up. I'm sorry. <laughs> what did it sound like? Well, I, I closed my mouth, but, like, I kept it on the inside. I didn't hear it. Okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I'm glad you like it, though, because yeah. th- that has been shown yes. to be... Okay, but, like, why? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> There you go. So there, why? Why? And they've been doing that for years. The so. why doesn't matter to me, though. If Okay, so there's, like, faith. That's faith, then. No, it isn't. If it's proven to be effective in doing something, I don't care why. Well, technically, thinking positive thoughts has been proven to be effective at something. So oh, that yeah, I know that. So faith is kind of... Yeah, I, I agree that positive thinking yeah. is effective because people believe it to be so. Right. So whatever we believe, therefore, is effective. Yeah. So anything that we believe could be effective. No, no. No. I had her. I still had her. And then she It's like, no, no, no. That's where, that's where I'm gone. If you're talking about the idea of positive thinking where people speak words and and try to will things to happen yeah. and then they tend to actually yeah. happen, that's different than you saying anything I believe is great right, and magic. Right, right. That's true. I guess I guess what that means is... There is this belief, though, that if you put enough thought behind something, you can make it so. Yeah. Well, that's for sure. And that has many manifestations, so including many. the secret, as you mentioned, yeah. and the prosperity gospel, which is what I study. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. 
Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. But um, we have a guest who is, um, she's kind of a life coach slash uh, speaker and hypnotherapist. And she has some techniques that might fall into the category of pop psychology in the sense that they're a little bit um, under the alternative umbrella. Mm -hmm. And Uh, not yet properly researched in order to have uh, like an evidence-based model around it. Even though hypnosis, hello, I love. Yeah, and she says her clients have had great success. So I want to hear more about that, what these techniques are, what she's got cooking. Let's hear it. Um, If you want to check her out, she's at coachmonique.com. All right. Welcome to the show, Coach Monique. Thanks for joining us on the Brain Candy Podcast. Well, thank you for having me. It's an exciting day. I know. We've heard all kinds of fun things about you. So we want to know, first of all, tell me what your work is. Your website is coachmonique.com. What does that include? Well, I'm an emotional intelligence expert. Um, and I do a lot of innovation. I'm very education and innovative driven ways to help people change their brain, change their thoughts, their beliefs, and ultimately their behaviors. Um, and really it's the mind's job to tell the body what to do. And so when you have problem behaviors, um, that we label problem behaviors, for Mm -hmm. example, the behavior or the problem is a symptom. It's not the actual problem. Mm. There are four things that are rooted in all human problems. And those are the belief that I am not enough. And I would say conservatively, about 97% of the population either identifies with that right away or they recognize that very quickly into the work. Hmm. Um, The belief that what I want is not available to me. And so that can be a tangible thing like a job, a house, financial security, or it can be an intangible confidence, love, acceptance. Um, And the third one is fear of rejection, which is actually based in our primal brain and has um, evolutionary drivers for that because in the history of man, often being outcast could mean your actual demise, your death. Yes. And so that's Hmm. why even, you know, just minor social rejection, Mm -hmm. people can have a physiological response to that. Right. It's big. And then the fourth one is the need for connection because we're actually social animals and we're wired in our brains to be connected and so it's very closely related to rejection but all nearly all human problems are based in um, a combination of those four things so if someone for example was a big boozer then it's not like oh they just really love taste in vodka it's probably one of these four things that's driving that urge Right. Now, addiction is a separate thing, but example, Hmm. uh, abuse of alcohol, for example. And so even addiction um, and, you know, when you have a genetic addict, for example, and you talk to people who who are addicts and and we've discovered that they're genetic addicts, you may find someone, a parent may report, well, at the age of three, you know, we were taking a flight and we gave him some Benadryl and then the next day he asked for it. Yeah. Hmm. So something like that is kind of indicative of a 
a genetic addict, but for people who develop that behavior because maybe they do have the tendency, mm-hmm. but they're not necessarily driven by that. There, I never met an addict or an alcoholic who liked themselves. Right. And so yeah, that's true. the behavior is you don't like yourself, you reject yourself. Yeah. And so you drink to self-medicate or you use drugs, you're self-medicating. So whenever you um, go about your job, you probably have, it's probably different every day, I would imagine. But what are some of the things that you use as tools to help people overcome these issues? Um, well, a major one, and I see anywhere between three and five clients a day. And so almost every client on their first visit is, I teach them a technique called delete, delete. And it's a technique that does two things. The first thing it does is it raises your awareness of your actual thought patterns. Um, the, the average person has something like 60,000 thoughts a day. Most of those thoughts are not brandy new, but they're repetitive thoughts we had mm-hmm. yesterday, last week, last year. Mm-hmm. Maybe they're not even originally our thoughts, but we got them in school or from our parents or family. And then you outboard the thoughts that get us through our day, like, I've got to be on my podcast today. You know, yeah. I have to, you know, make coffee. So when you outboard those kinds of thoughts, um, those core thoughts, you need to understand that those thoughts really drive drive your life it's what you believe mm-hmm. and that's really going to shape your experience and often and so distorted. by building awareness right well i would most often distorted yeah mm. right and so as you build awareness for what your thought patterns are then you can do something about it and the delete delete technique i developed that because mostly everyone uses the computer these days and when you hit the delete button it just goes away mm-hmm. there's no message that comes up and says but mom said it was true Or what if I need that later? (laughs) You know, it just goes away. And the oldest form of education and training is through storytelling. And so delete, delete creates a picture. If I say delete, delete, most people, you know, nine out of 10 people will say, if I say delete, what do you see? And they say, I see the delete button. Mm Yeah. And so that reinforces that. And so I will tell a client, you know, maybe when they're first leaving after their appointment, I'll say for the next three hours, I want you to be really aware of your thoughts and use the delete, delete technique. And what will happen is at first you'll notice, oh, oh, about 10 seconds ago, I had a negative thought. And you simply say delete, delete, and you replace it with a positive or at least a neutral thought. It has to be something that you believe. Hmm. And what will happen in that span of three hours is the window will get shorter and shorter. So you'll start catching yourself about halfway through or at the beginning. And I would say 30% of clients report that within three hours, if they really are, you know, are committed to the, to the exercise, they may start to feel that a negative thought is forming. And before they're even consciously aware of the thought, they can delete, delete it because they recognize that there's feelings associated with our thoughts that we're often not aware of. Wow. That's so cool. It sounds almost too good to be true. It's like, so simple. It, and there is so much empirical evidence to back up what she's saying. What is it, though, that, that you're just retraining your brain? Yes. You're retraining your brain. Because like attracts like. So the more negative thoughts you have, the more likely you're to have a negative thought. The, yeah. more, the more times that you think a negative thought or a positive thought, the more likely you are to have it again. So what you want to do is you want to interrupt that pattern, and then you want to train mm-hmm. for a better pattern. Hmm. And so delete, delete alone can really transform people's lives because 
you know, when I work with clients, there are different exercises that I will do that people can even like try at home in pairs. Like I'll do a feather oak tree exercise and I'll have people just take a deep breath, close their eyes and envision an oak tree. That's all they have to do is really envision it. And Mm -hmm. I give them maybe 10 or 15 seconds. And then I have someone push on their shoulder and about nine people out of 10 will be very stable. Yeah. It's amazing how much it works. It's so yeah. fascinating. And then when you do the feather, they can't even stay up. Yes. You know, they're like, I'll say touch them very lightly because you've had people that stumble. Oh. And, you know, the, it's the body, the mind's job to tell the body what to do. And it's through pictures. And thoughts that are emotionally charged are even more powerful, right? Mm-hmm. And people are typically unaware of that. So, and our brain's language is so powerful. So I will have someone like take a deep breath and I want you to think about the word uh, victim and take note of how and where you feel that in your body and then open your eyes take a deep breath and close your eyes and you think about survivor and how do you feel Mm -hmm. and where do you feel Mm -hmm. that in your body and relabeling and if we had a functioning MRI and we put you know we flash these words and you were in this functioning MRI or this PET scan your brain would light up in different areas based on the language now I have a uh no, like I am such a uh, advocate for this work and really see how it's had such a positive effect on people. Um, but uh, I really didn't feel the effects of it until uh, I experienced it myself. And somebody once told me that mindfulness and you can kind of lump all of those like mindfulness and meditation and hypnosis into I mean for the for this argument into the same category but it's like going to a restaurant and reading the menu and expecting to be full unless you order the food and you taste the food and you do it yourself you really don't understand just how dramatic these effects can be Mm -hmm. and I read it in a book a million times but until I really practiced it myself I went oh my god this is transformative and I ask you, what do you propose uh, uh, or what do you suggest somebody who wants this self-awareness and wants to change do in order to make these changes in their own life? Is it something where you need the help of another individual like a therapist or like a coach or something like that? Or is this something you could do on your own? Well, it's a good question. And going back to what you said earlier is it is experiential. And I, you know, I tell people this all the time. I tell young people, I tell clients, like, I can talk to you about motherhood until I'm blue in the face and you think you'll have it, but you don't really know it until you actually experience being a mother mm-hmm. because it's experiential. And in the same way, this work is experiential. You can read about it and you can go, oh yeah, that seems like a really good idea. But until you're able to snap yourself out of an anxiety attack in under 90 seconds, just doing some of these techniques. And then you go, wow. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's one thing to read about it. It's another thing to actually do it. And the tech, you know, some of the techniques are very, very easy, you know, like delete, delete. It's the commitment to do it. Um, You know, really being mindful. And one of the, the easiest, most effortless ways to be mindful and to ground yourself is to simply key into your breath. Mm-hmm. And so if you just take a breath and you just stay with yourself with the breath and as you exhale, you can't be stressed or anxious and be key to your breath at the same time. It's physiologically impossible. 
one of the things on your website is called uh, the services that you offer is called rapid transformation hypnotherapy. What is that? Yeah, rapid transformational therapy, or otherwise known as RTT, it's a very unique uh, formula-driven hypnotherapy. It usually takes about ninety seconds, and what we do is we get to what are what is the cause of the problem behavior. So whatever the behavior, somebody calls and says, you know. I need to stop smoking or I'm binge eating or, you know, I have a lot of anxiety or whatever it is. We explain to them that that's not the problem. That's the symptom. And so for all of us, it's always what you don't know that you don't know that runs the Mm. show because (laughs) it goes unchecked. And so using RTT, um, you know, we do the typical hypnosis um, induction. And then I take people back to three to five ideal scenes about why there have this issue. So let's say it's binge eating. And I just worked with a client last week, binge eating. And the three things that came up for her was uh, control around food. You know, her mother's like, you're not going to eat that, are you? Mm -hmm. Um, Mm. Being uh, soothed with food. Oh, here, honey, don't cry. Have a cupcake. You know, and these kinds of incidences. And so we go back and say this, her three scenes were, I think she was three, seven, and 12. Uh, and so you go back to those scenes and you allow the person to see themselves as that three-year-old and say what they couldn't say then that they need to say now to heal. And so, um, yes, mommy, you being worried about me being fat, that's your problem, not my problem. That's on you, not on me. And so you get to go back to that scene mm-hmm. and turn down the emotional volume and reframe it. How? Uh, and then, in- Sorry, go ahead. And then another really important component in what separates RTT from other um, hypnotherapy programs is we look at the role, function, and purpose. And so anything that's happening, whether it's nail-biting or overeating or anything, it's playing a role, function, and purpose. And when you can acknowledge that and make that connection and chain that together, right, and then you thank the role, function, and purpose. You know, at three years old, I wasn't empowered. Mm-hmm. At 12 years old, I didn't have choice, but I'm an adult now. I have choice, but I can look at this not as a bad thing, but it provided the comfort or the safety or the distraction that I needed. But now that I'm an adult and I'm empowered, that can change. How does uh, that therapeutic technique differ from, say, like EMDR? Are- uh, well, it's a great question, and we've done um several of those different kinds of sessions. What I find is that RTT is more effective because you're going right back to that and it's mostly just one two-hour session. Because the other part that we do is after we've, you know, we regressed, we've seen these scenes of, you know, where they started. So we go back to the birth of the first binge eating or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And then we've looked at the role, function, and purpose, and now we're going to do the upgrading the child. Mm-hmm. And so with upgrading the child, because most people who are having issues, it's at least somewhat tied to childhood, oftentimes directly related to childhood experiences. And so we go back and doing that upgrade the child as you go back and you see that child who's suffering and you integrate that child into the heart of the adult that you are now and you meld the two of them as one. And now this child that you're the expert in parenting this child and loving this child and you understand this child like no one else can. And so you're, you're integrating with this child and this child will always be safe with you in your heart. 
Are there people who are more or less um, treatable through these approaches, or is it just if you if you are up for it, it'll work for you? Um, for the most part, uh, some people, like for example, with RTT, some people are just naturally more suggestible than others. Yeah. But I've had clients who were not very suggestible, who just are, you know, really having enough pain, right, that they really want this enough that they will relax and trust the process even though they can't really go to a deep level mm-hmm. of hypnotic state. So you have people you think, oh, and there have been times where I thought, oh, that person didn't really go very deep. They didn't have very good feedback. I'm not really sure. And, you know, I follow up with people the next day and several days after, and they'll say, oh, my God, it was amazing. It was like a light switch. You know, I was like, oh, my goodness. What so is it like everyone, to be hypnotized, by the way? What it means, what it feels like to be hypnotized for most people is that you're aware of what's going on, but you're somewhat detached. Mm-hmm. So you won't do things that you wouldn't, you know, want to do. Uh, and you won't go where you wouldn't want to go. So, for example, I had a, a young man a couple months ago whose father, his only living parent, was terminally ill and was within weeks of dying. And so when I regressed him back, there was an issue with his dad that his dad didn't do anything wrong, but it was less than flattering. And he immediately, oh, no, I can't go there. Hmm. So the client is in charge of the process. It's just that your subconscious mind kind of takes a back. Your conscious mind takes a back seat and allows the subconscious mind to come forward. What I can't help thinking of, because I have been hypnotized before, and I have had a lot of success in this, and I'm somebody who's easily, uh, um, hypnosis just works yeah, really well for me. Uh, and to kind of relate it to somebody who maybe hasn't experienced that, it feels like when you're writing something and somebody's talking and all of a sudden you start writing the word that they say, even though you know that you can start writing another word at any moment, you could have written down the word that you wanted to write, but because that other person is influencing you, your thoughts are somewhere else. And you're open to their suggestion of what to say. Is that kind of, uh, I mean, that I feel like that kind of feels the same. And then afterwards you're like, oh, God, I can't even believe I did that. I didn't even, why did I do that? Yeah, I mean, that's a really good example. You know, with hypnotherapy, you're going to the alpha brainwave level. And the alpha brainwave level is what you pass through on your way going to sleep and you're passing through as you wake up. And it's that really rich time where you remember things. Oh, I couldn't remember the name of that song. And then it comes to you. Yes. Or you have this idea or this insight, right? Because that alpha brainwave level is very rich in intuition and, and, you know, relaxation. And so you're more open and susceptible. Just to add a fun anecdote in there. uh, uh, I heard a story about Albert Einstein. He so recognized that stage as being an important stage of innovation and creation and grand grand ideas that he would fall asleep holding little marbles in his hand because Mm -hmm. the weight of those would drop and then he would jerk and wake up and it would catch him right in that moment and he would have a genius idea that would come to him. Hmm. That's absolutely, you know, that's true. I mean, I've read that over and over. Something that I will tell clients to do and I do myself So when I'm falling asleep and I tend to be that person who will get these ideas or these memories, right? And so next to my bed, on my nightstand, I'll keep 
you know, several pens or um, pencils or just lightweight things that wouldn't make any noise when they hit the carpet. And so when I'm meditating or I'm falling asleep and an idea comes to me or an insight or I remember something, I reach over and I just very gently will take one of those items off my nightstand and let it drop on the floor. And I will tell you, when I wake up in the morning and I'm not looking at the floor yet, I have no recollection of that. And as soon as I swing my legs over the bed and I look and I go, oh, and there are times there's three to five things on the floor. I mean, I've put a Kleenex on the floor, whatever. And each thing I see triggers the memory. Oh, that's so cool. That's really, it's because I know it's a work. I know it. I can just see why that works. Yes. (sighs) <sighs> or, you know, even just like if I'm coming upstairs and I'm really tired, right, it's been a long day and I think about something I need to do or I have this idea, oh. I will just like take off, you know, my sock maybe and I'll just leave it like next to the hamper because then when I see that in the morning, what happens is that triggers that doesn't belong there, which triggers the reason that it's there. Hmm. Okay, now I got one Good. since I love all of that and so wonderful, but how about in my own life where I'm somebody who is... You may be like, if you're somebody who's going into one of these therapies and you're processing a lot of, you know, thoughts and things from childhood and things like that. And as you mentioned, often when you go to bed is when you get flooded with all these images and all these memories and things like that, sometimes that are very intense and you don't have a therapist there. You don't have somebody, a coach there who can help you through this. Is there a way to kind of turn the volume down on that? Yes, and one of the ways is simply to be mindful and to just key into your breath and anchor yourself in your body. Um, Mm. And so, you know, as you do that, you just physiologically relax and your mind will stray, you know, your mind's going to go. So when your mind goes, you just call it back and you don't judge it for straying. You just like, you know, back to the breath, back to the breath or back to the body. Another thing that I will have clients do, and this is tied to my meditation, is if someone's really having challenges at night, relaxing or letting go or falling asleep or, or worrying or having trauma, traumatic thoughts, uh, <clears throat> is have someone lie there, take a deep breath. It's typically better if you're on your back and just starting with the toes and saying, I'm relaxing my toes, my toes are relaxing, my toes are relaxed, and then move up to the feet and keep those three commands the same. And what you do is you build muscle memory for relaxation by doing that. And I actually have a meditation based on that formula that uh, I I work with clients and I teach that to them. So just 20 minutes, you can easily drop into the meditative state and easily pop out because it's just very formulatic and you're training your body and your mind to just go there. Hmm. And love it. Most people report with just a very little bit of practice that they don't even get through the whole body and they just drift off to sleep. Well, it's so effective, and I am in a theories class while I'm getting my master's right now that my professor said he's just cutting one of the papers and made mindfulness an actual assignment because he's like, people won't do it if I just tell them to do it, so I have to actually assign it, and I can't believe how effective it's been in my own life and my husband's life as well because now he's uh, used those same exact mindfulness techniques you're talking about. And I mean, it really is a great way to regain control and deal with a lot of these things that so many of us struggle with as simple as just going to bed at night. Right. 
Yeah, and it's absolutely true. And, you know, for most of us in any kind of relationship, for example, we're unhappy in a relationship or we're struggling in a relationship. And that's part of the human experience, right? And so for, you know, the vast majority of people consistently, even though it has a low success rate, is we try to get the other person or the circumstances to change so that we can be happier or more relaxed or more at peace. And, you know, it's very low success rate that doesn't work. That always works. Yeah. Right. But people consistently use it, right? Despite the failure rate. Um, Mm. And so really the only way to ever have change in life in in relationships is it has to come from within. And the, the very easiest, most effective way to change what's going on in your life is to um, change your thoughts. And the easiest way to change your thoughts are through things like mindfulness or gratitude. And gratitude is a whole other subject, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And body awareness. One last thing um, before we go, I noticed a theme on the website is um, posting about happiness and um, why it's so important. Do you think that that's one of the is that one of the main reasons that people come to you is that they're seeking it and feel like they, they don't have that in their life? Um, I, the main reason people come to my coaching, because I do executive coaching and life coaching, is that they want to make a change. And that change is I get a lot of anxiety uh, people and people who are working on confidence. And I got a lot of people who are just going through a major change in their life. So mm-hmm. maybe they're thinking about divorce or they're getting a divorce or they're new to motherhood or they're having, you know, the family relationships are so difficult, you know, around the, you know, stress over the holidays has started. And so mm-hmm. we said, I just said to someone today, um, you know, don't blame the holidays. You were stressed in August. Right, right. Uh, so people are making life changes around loss, around, you know, relocation Anything that's a change, retirement, the election, you know, business changes, the election, a lot of, you know, yeah. people not happy, right? Yeah. And so most things, you know, people change for two reasons. Number one, that the pain of staying the way it is is now just too great and you have to move outside of your comfort zone. And the second reason people change is because there's a goal that is big enough and bold enough that it motivates you to move outside of your comfort zone. Hmm. All right. Well, people can check you out at coachmonique.com and I encourage them to do so because there's cool, you have some videos on there. You have um, some insight about your strategies, which I think our listeners will really enjoy. Sarah, do you have any uh, last comments? Just thanks for joining us. Yeah. And like, I'm going to give this Kleenex on the nightstand thing a whirl and see if it works for me. Yeah, me too. Help me remember all the nonsense. It will work for you and it can change your life because all those things that you're forgetting now you'll be able to remember right all my genius ideas i know and we have so many of them so <laughs> this is, get ready for a lot of really interesting podcast episodes people. all right well that's cool we'll <laughs> yeah, give it a try we'll report back to you thank you so much coach monique well thank you for having me and i work with people about half my clients are skype and half are in my office in pittsburgh so oh cool so people can make a reach out my way. yeah oh, awesome. awesome love that Go to coachmonique.com and uh, check her out and see if you could maybe use a little boost in some way and she'll help you out. Thank you so much. Thank you and you have a great day. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Okay, well, that was interesting. What do you think? Are you a believer of the delete, delete? Yes, absolutely I am. And it's so funny because that's something my mom has been saying for forever, delete, delete. And that is weird. It is weird. I really do have to bring that up with my mom and be like, where'd you pick that up, mom? 
Where'd you get that one? <laughs> well, I mean, if you want to learn more about Coach Monique's techniques, that's cute. Coach Monique's techniques. Oh, I like that. Rhyme Go to CoachMonique.com and let us know also what you think in general about... we. What was the thing we were debating earlier? Um, I wanted people to weigh in. Darn it. What? On hypnosis? On astrology? On... Maybe. Maybe. Oh, the Dr. Phil thing. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to we'll, know what... Let's put up a Twitter uh, poll. Yeah. We'll make a Twitter poll. Do we think... Dr. Is that Phil is exploiting? Yeah. Exploitative of the mentally ill. Yeah, or not. Or not. Okay, well, we'll pull you guys. Go to thebraincandypodcast.com if you're still looking for Christmas presents, and <gasps> I know you are. Yes, you are. We have a lot of goods for all the nasty women, all the nerdy boys and girls, all the um, smarty Smart kids. pants. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> TheBrainCandyPodcast.com. I mean, how cute are all your little nieces and nephews going to look running around in Smart Kids Finish First shirts? So cute. Adorbs. Yeah. It's a real crowd pleaser. Yeah. So pardon my um, cough drops, by the way. Yeah, well, so Thanks for listening, guys. All right. Bye. See ya.